Welcome to the Fail Forward podcast. The purpose of this podcast is change the negative stigma around failure into a positive. Failure is only a negative if we do not learn from it and we give up. Welcome back to the Fail Forward podcast. We have the awesome Liam Doe with us today. He is the co-founder of The Old Bond Store, which is a fantastic co-working space, which has a hive of businesses that work together. So Liam, welcome. So let's go on a bit of a journey. How did you get into business and, and where did you first start? Um, I think for a lot of people, they maybe sport was the first thing. I think at 10 years old, um, my mum forced me to go and play for a football team, um, which turned out to be quite a good football team um, and made some friends there. And I think even at a young age, it was ultra competitive. Um, and we had kind of, I think we ended, I ended up playing at Southampton for a few years. Um, and everyone around me, was just, everything we did really was just ultra competitive, which I think is important in business. So that, that kind of evolved. Um, went to university, got a bit of a Mickey Mouse degree, communication design, um, didn't really like it, but quite like the, um, the commercial aspect of learned about how people buy stuff, marketing and stuff like that, and trying to um, read people's minds. I think the dissertation was about why Bacardi Breeze, I don't know if you remember that. Um, but yeah, why, why people buy Bacardi Breeze and that was all interesting to me. And then while I was at uni, I got a job at MFI, um, selling beds and sofas and stuff like that on commission, which I absolutely loved. Um, and was quite good at it and a full-time wage on a part-time kind of job. Nice. Um, and that was the bit that kind of, cause I think a lot of people that run businesses, they end up coming from kind of their own businesses, kind of sales backgrounds cause it's that competitive thing. Um, Travelled the world for six months. My wife had a fantastic time and then got into recruitment, which was the first way in. Which and is I'm, very salesy as well, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It was, um, it's ultra salesy. It, I hated it. I did it for about two and a half years. I absolutely hated it. I was shit at it <laughs> um, because you couldn't, um, it was all on the phone. It was high pressure. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of, got me into that kind of process and it was a bit disillusioned. Then I got a job actually working for a kitchen franchise, a large kitchen company in France. And my job was to, I was too young really for the job. They're paying shit money. So they wanted to employ me because it was, it was cheap and easy. But from my degree background, my MFI sales and stuff like that, I got into the nuts and bolts of business because the kitchen franchises were all ex-designers, kitchenette designers really, didn't really have a clue what they were doing in business. And they come to me and say, right, we need to secure location. I had no idea how to secure locations. We need to work out what we're putting in the shop, how we market the shop, how we run our cash flows and all that sort of stuff. So I was thrown into it. And and first year, absolutely achieved nothing was shit. Didn't really make any grounds on that. But what I, what I realized is in business was if you narrow your offer and make it nice and defined and clear, um, and you just stick to the game plan. And that's what we kind of did. And the next two years I was with them, we ended up opening up these specific franchises. Um, we had a lot of success. Um, and I think towards the end of that, I think it was there about three and a half years, towards the end I started to decide, I could be doing this. Like these people, are, I'm pretty much holding their hands right the way through the process and that watched them make lots of mistakes. And I had probably 12, 14 accounts I was looking after. So um, in that first year, um, and you mentioned that you sort of just didn't really know what you're doing. What what did you, how did you work it out? 
how did you go about you know get finding that success that you then created with with those accounts i think i think what what i did was i worked back so so basically this was a high value kitchen product you're talking like 20 years ago like 20 20 grand plus kitchens 25 grand plus kitchens a luxury product um and we had a kitchen franchise business in France. It was huge. They had like 300 branches, TV adverts everywhere. Um, but for these these places to succeed, they needed to sell 12 kitchens a year. And they would run a, a nice little setup, a little shop. Um, so we just tried to keep it simple. So that one of the biggest challenges in, in, in these showrooms was you got 2,000 square feet, or and I say 800 square feet in the little showrooms, the boutique ones. I want to put 12 kitchens in there. Why do you want to put 12 kitchens? We do 200 different variations of kitchen. Well, I want 12 kitchens so everyone can taste, feel, touch the different things. And it was all about what I learned from my degree, the essence of why people, it was a lifestyle purchase. They wanted to buy because Mr. and Mrs. Jones up the road, want, wanted, they wanted a better kitchen than them. Yeah. And, and the company behind me, they were all for about this lifestyle thing, which kind of resonated. And actually, one of the key examples, let's put two kitchens in, but let's make them absolutely fucking spot on. Um. And what, what I learned in that process was you can make it as complicated as you want to make it. But basically, if we the simpler we make it, the whole process. Um, so I think fr from my perspective, what I learned when I kind of set my own business up is just keep it nice and, and, and straightforward. And I think a lot of small business owners, they, they created a load of moving parts that when you actually looked at it, there was just a series of really bad decisions. And before you knew it, you had a way... Let's say first year they're doing half a million quid, 400 grand, and they've got eight staff. They're then doing bathrooms. They then decided that the Antico flooring guy comes in, so they're now doing flooring. Their marketing strategy is when someone comes in and they've got a shiny, glossy magazine, let's just stick it in there for 500 quid and hope. And I think those three or four years on someone else's buck, really, I was paid shit, but actually when you look at it, the, the education that I went through was pretty amazing. And I was way out my depth, but... Going back to my my degree days, um, it taught us that if you're going to sell a product, just keep it nice and nice and simple. So, so you were you were out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, and and I think I think for me, I've always been really comfortable outside of my comfort zone. It's where we grow the most, isn't it? Outside yeah. of your comfort zone. So yeah, that's awesome and. Like you say, uh, I think the saying in business is a confused ne mind never buys. So the fact that you were trying to simplify it and, you know, simplify that space makes a lot of sense. So, so yeah, so what happened next then? So uh, I was tearing down the M27. Um, my dad had a couple of failed businesses before, but kind of like a, a rough and ready entrepreneur, really, in, in the construction industry, kind of a, a tools guy, love working out on site and stuff like that. And he, he developed this kind of like small operation, construction operation, it did quite well. It was his, I think it was his third or fourth attempt at it. And it, and it, it for whatever reason, maybe he was a bit older, but a bit wiser and it was going quite well. But the challenge was he didn't want to be a business owner. He didn't want to be an entrepreneur. He wouldn't even know what it was. So he was ranting down, down to me, I've had enough of this. There was a few quid in the bank, I'm off, I'm shutting it down. And at that point, I think if, it, if that didn't, that conversation never happened, I'd still done it any, I'd, I'd have found something. So I said, well, okay, let, let, let me come down and have a look at how it's going and I'll have a look at the numbers and stuff. And, and I mean, the deal that was done didn't even make any sense. I mean, it was like 100 shares. <laughs> like, it was just really a basic, like, tag packet calculation. And he said, well, actually, I've got another guy who's um, 
been doing some work for us, a bit of pricing work, who also had a senior job in London, who's Richard, who's my business partner today. I've, I've split it up in 100 shares. This is the amount of money. And, and I went back to my wife. I said, right, I'm getting a bank loan. Um, she was like, what, what are we doing? We ain't got any money. Like, literally, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> so I went and got a bank loan from Barclays. Um, we just moved into our flat. Um, and we got into it. And, and Richard did the same. Um, and then within a couple of weeks, my dad moved away. He, 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 so he, I don't know whether his, the agreement was we were all going to do it together, but within very shortly, he'd moved away, which was fine. And it was a bit of a strange one, actually, because I think the VAT man turned up and said, uh, you owe us a few quid. I think I think fundamentally the, the business was near on insolvent before we'd even started. But we did a deal with the VAT man and said, and I said to Rich, well, we're in. Do you know what I mean? And I don't, I don't regret it. And I don't regret what my dad did, actually. I think it was good for us. And we just said, let's just have a stab at it. Um, and we took the business. I think it was doing, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, probably a few hundred grand, a couple hundred grand, 300 grand. And we took it to five five million in about four years. Wow. So um, going. Yeah. Yeah. And lost it in six months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it was incredible. I mean, the, the, the challenge I had with it was we weren't equipped. You talked about that being uncomfortable. Um, I think historically I enjoy that bit. I always describe it as when you like the road runner, when you run off the cliff, for me, all the bit building up to run off the cliff is it's to get that euphoria moment when when the roadrunner looks round and then you drop. Yeah. And there, and that is a really short part of every transaction and business deals that we've done. That little bit is the most it's like a drug. Um, so when me and Richard sat there, the VAT man's there and they're saying, right, you do this, and we're going, Well, we don't even know how we're even gonna run this business, that's the most euphoric part of part of the process. Problem solving is at that point, isn't it? Everything is based on um, kind of the strategy goes out the window and it's working for a process. So today I'm just going to sort that VAT man out. Tomorrow I'm going to make sure that that person turns up on time, right? The next day I'm going to do that. And I think the difference between an entrepreneur and a business, a good business operator, and I can spot the difference mile off now, an entrepreneur likes chaos, like they, they actually thrive on chaos and that's where the best work happens. And a business operator um, is way more, and I think mine and Richard's relationship over time is I've been the, the, the crazy person that creates what we've created now and Richard comes in later on and goes, right, let's flatten it and let's try and work out whether there's something here that we can, we can do. Um, so yeah, we, t we took it to five million quid. The recession hit two years before we actually went bust. Um, but fundamentally, m my dad wanted more money down the line because we we collectively increased a lot of value into the business. Arrogantly, we went, look, we're making money hand over fist. It's just, yeah, makes sense. Let him have the money. Um, and then we hit recession. So we were running we were running a five million quid business on, on fumes. Um, and we did that for nearly two years. And that was a that was a tough place to be. And how did that feel for over that, that, that two years? I think the energy of a 27, oh no, well, I've been 29, 30 year old, kept the wheels on. Um, I'd recruited a young team because I couldn't relate to old, I was trying to be this disrupted, arrogant little prick, really. And we just kept evolving it. So we, we had we had a system of managing the suppliers. We would get chase money down. And I think the problem was we were in an industry where we were dealing with all the market leaders. They were very aware of, that we could deliver but they're also very aware how how 
um, exposed we were. And one of the key mistakes we made at that point was like, at one point, I remember being with Speedy, the rep with Speedy, um, because what happened was when we got this massive contract in Islington, I mean, how mental is this? I'm 29 years old. We got this 1.5 million quid contract in Islington, but with, I think, Balfour Beatty or someone like that, which we're delivering, by the way. We've got 50 grand a week's worth of um, kit on site. But because we were growing so quickly, we hired it all. So, and I started to work out, hang on a minute, that disc cutter, if we'd have had it for 12 weeks, we'd have paid for it. And then when a job finished, there was four disc cutters missing. So not only have we paid for a disc cutter that, so we just grew too quickly. Um, as a learning curve, you just l learn to manage chaos. Um, and you actually, uh, towards the end, it start, the, the will start to fall off. Um, we had someone that bounced a check on us and we had a payroll to hit of about 50 grand for that week. And you sat on a bench outside going, I, and the challenge is, which anyone that knows that's been in that situation at the time, that there feels like there's no way out because you just can't every day, you just get up five o'clock every morning and just go again. So I think when you're younger, you, you've got that energy to do that. Um, and actually, I always remember, and I'll, I'll say this because it's a bit of a kind of thing, but me and my wife split up. We were a year into our uh, marriage and um, we had a dumper stolen in Islington. And basically what they'd done, it's one of these um, council estates, they'd rolled a dumper into one of the garages um, and it was gone. And I got a call early in the morning to say, look, we're missing a dumper. And bearing in mind, we didn't own the dumper. So that was the problem. And, and I was ranting and my wife said to me, like, can you just shut up? Like, it's like half five in the morning. And I went at her and shortly after that, she she left. And we're still together now, which is why I tell the, tell the story. And she'll probably listen to this and laugh. But, And I said, look, is there something going on in the relationship? We're only a year into our marriage, been together a long time. And she said, I don't think you care if I went. I said, I don't even think you'd even know. And I was like, and that was a bit of an eye opener. Mm. Um, but the business went into a, um, into administration, which was, which was messy, horrible. Wouldn't recommend that experience. Don't let anyone tell you that that's a easy experience to, to go through. Um, so when so when it was going under, what were your feelings? Was did you have anxiety, stress? You know, it was from my experience when my business went under, it was just so much pressure. And you know, I was a similar age, and you say you know you, you're resilient, but there must have been a lot going on at that point. It became a bit surreal in the end because as a business, we'd never actually enjoyed... It was never about the money anyway. I didn't really care. It was kind of a scorecard and a sport for me. Um, and then it all becomes very real because the, 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 the 50 grand invoice that just looks like a bit of paper is actually 50 grand. And then you start to... I remember there's a time we sat down and start to look. We got nothing, right? So literally, but even what... There's enough that they can take to that, that, that makes it depressing. Um and I just, I mean, when I come out of the administrator's office and they do a good job of administrators, but but be aware that they're agendered um, and they do it. It was a, a relief, a relief that actually now tomorrow we're going to go in, we're going to make all the staff redundant. We knew that they were going to be happy because they they knew the rock. I mean, they're not stupid. They knew that we were struggling for some time, but they were going to get um, there was enough money available to, to, to get them what they needed. Um, but it was, a, yeah, that was probably the first night you sleep. But then I don't think for the, we were struggling for two years, but it was still a game for about 18 months. 
And what happens is with a balance, and I always say to a lot of um, young young business owners, what's your walk away money? Forget about EBITDAs, um, resale values, change your life, all this nonsense you see on LinkedIn. Forget about who's going to buy business. No one's going to buy business unless they're going to buy it. So what is what does the walk away money look like? And what that means is what is the balance sheet? Give everyone their money, give everyone else their money. And when you're struggling with what we and Richard, we were fighting for our lives and we had some really good wins and then it went cash positive. So I don't know, you, you're then walking away if you shut the doors at 100 grand, divided by two, 50 grand. You sold your plant and all the other stuff. It goes minus 50 grand. So now it's chipping into your own life. And I always say to people, forget about all the other stuff. What's your walk away line? And that's the bit early on in business you should protect because once that gets away from a year's worth of income, two years worth of income, you can start to be more proactive in your decisions. And I think the challenge for a lot of businesses that are in that muddy area for about five or six years that are trying to grow, you're not making those constructive decisions. Um, and, and yeah, so, so we went from that, that failing, um, we kind of flipped it and then said, well, we can't compete with our competitors because we, we're not good at that. <laughs> um, let, let's supply them with, with some great labour because one thing we were very good at, we weren't particularly good at getting paid, but we were quite good at delivering the work. Um, Can I um, take you back quick, just quickly? So at that point, it all goes under and the administrators come in. What is it that, what, what is it that stops you from just giving up and going back to your your you know your previous job or, or or back to a career rather than you know what what do you think it was that led you on further oh, i was never even a consideration and i always remember my wife when we were having some difficult times she said well it's no no problem you just go back to do it so I, I never brought a massive income in but we always had quite a nice life well you just have to go back to getting a job and i was like no nah. and it kind of resonated i mean absolutely no way am i going to go and work for somebody now and it's that for me is always um, I don't, I've never really been that motivated by money, but the idea of having to work for somebody is the most demoralising feeling ever. Um, and obviously I'm surrounded now by a lot of business owners and that is, that's the bit that is the scariest bit. So when you say what motivates me, it's having to go and work for somebody. And do you think it was also, you mentioned right at the beginning about school and having that um, winning mentality and wanting to win everything. Do you think part of it was that you you wanted to carry on trying to win did you feel defeated art once the business had gone i think the challenge i think for me everything that i've done in business is a part of my identity so it's not about some people like i've got friends who've got fantastic jobs and they go right yeah when i get home on a sunday like i'm on holiday tomorrow's phone's off and for me it's that scorecard you're right it becomes part of my identity like anything that I do in business is reflective of me personally. And I think at the other end of that scale, ultra, ultra successful people, they, they're able to also break away from that and it becomes a commodity. But I think a lot of small business owners, yeah, you don't, you, it's, it's a competitive edge. You want it to win because you want to win. And those two are connected. Um, and when you're in Turkey on holiday or the Maldives, wherever you are, when that phone rings, people that aren't business owners don't understand that it's, it's a passion so it's part of your, you're going to take that call, not because you have to, because you want to really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of business owners are pricks. Like, I don't think we are particularly, I think we're very selfish. 
And I think the more successful you are, in, in all fairness, the more selfish you probably are um, because you have to be. Um, and then you build a world around you that suits that selfishness um, and people. So, yeah, that's always been a challenge for me is to kind of include everyone else. And I'm an only child. I don't know if that's got a, a thing to do with it that I've always wanted it my own way. But yeah, there's some shaky decisions I've made in the past. I've gone, hang on a minute, that's that's pretty fucked up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you talk to other business owners and they do the same crazy stuff. And, and um, yeah. Um, I love that. It's a completely different concept because a lot of people just say my business consumes me and they almost blame the business. But I love your honesty and the fact that you're like, actually... Business owners thrive on that. You know, they they almost want to be consumed by their business because that's part of their identity. So I love the honesty you've got there. I Lynn. think the honesty as well, as we've come to it, but the honesty is now I spend, I have 20 conversations every day now with business owners. M more successful than me, um, less successful than me, but um, they're all incredibly selfish and they hide behind, where's the business in it? Well, you fucking created the business. <laughs> so, so, so actually, and, and, and I think that self-awareness is really important that you're, you're selfish because even going into relationships, children, um, family, friends, at the end of the day, you have to be self-aware that what that, what that's doing to other things and the sacrifice you make. And we all talk about all the fancy stuff. 99% of business owners have got less money than people who are in jobs. It's, it's, it's not this if you went through the statistics eight nine out of ten fail within yeah. the first three years it's not a great statistic but it's not about that right um and we hear this lauded out on linkedin and, and even people now like, oh, look at my car and all this stuff it's all bullshit and actually we all, we all do it for our own self-worth um so yeah that was kind of my, my spin on that Nice, yeah. I like it. So you, the, the business goes into administration and then you and Richard get together and then that's when you start trying to do something slightly different. So so where did it go from there? Well, one of the big things about businesses, and I see it again all the time now, is it, uh, you need assets. You need, you, need, you need stuff of value because when you make the big decisions, the assets um, are going to bail you out. And I learned that. Some of the businesses now that are household names locally that we were bigger than at the time they basically bought their machines. So over three years, you could, you got an excavator over there. So when you hit shit times, you can lend against it. I mean, and it's, it's an asset. And one of the things me and Richard realized was we, when we set out again, we said, right, let's just keep it small, me and you. Um, and every time the business chucks out some money, Liam, you go and find some stuff to put it into that's more steady. And we got into property um, early on, we bought a little terraced house that we couldn't really afford, but we muddled through, got credit cards and stuff like that. And that kind of just snowballed. But what happened was when we grew the business before as a commodity, we decided actually, fuck the commodity, let's just get it as a bit of a cash cow. Um, and we would start to forecast everything then and what it would kick out. And oh, we got one house, two house, four houses, and then we re and then they went up in value. So then we refinanced them. And as you know, Henry, the modeling is just it's a great model like because you're earning if you buy right you're buying on the do up if you do it well enough you can leave you can get most of it out take it to the next one and then you're earning again because you're renting it and that that got us out of jail we did that for about six years um started a small tax business for 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 lads that work for us doing tax returns and that that was relatively successful we sold out of that about two years ago um and then we we kind of changed our mindset as business owners 
to kind of like just scrapping around really for money and just and, and then the money kind of compounded because um, there's two different like a property developer is a very different model to someone running a digital agency the end product might be the same but it's a different mindset um, and we became cool, almost like property minded asset minded um, and that took us we did that for about seven eight years and that was some of our best times actually we we ended up buying an office that we still got now and the guy we couldn't even like we're making our own sandwiches and 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 when we talk about business ownership that was the bits i really enjoyed the camaraderie and the how much did we make this week right okay right that's good and, and trying doing deals and stuff like that so yeah that was that was probably to about five years ago um, and then the problem with property was the licensing around um, HMOs, which is what we got into, changed. Um, and I, I think deep down I got bored. It was boring. Um, and I missed the business ownership, the entrepreneurship. Doing deals is great. And I admire those people that have got 200 property portfolios. It's fucking boring. Because mm. once you've got that model, it's a production line. You've got people feeding you leads it's not really that dynamic um, and I missed that and I think boredom got the better of me and I went to Richard and said I've got an idea <laughs> <laughs> which is maybe what we're going we're gonna to talk about. Yeah so I just want to take you back slightly so so it's really fun it's a really similar journey to me when I lost everything and then you want to create security again don't you so what will you say you know your top I know two or three learnings are from that first business and and what you learned from from the first fail point of that business going under it's no rush um there's no rush get some build great advice get the right people around you early because that is just absolutely essential if it's just you and your mate in a room basically blowing smoke up each other's ass it's probably not a brilliant dynamic um and the other thing i'd say is just diversify and build your assets before you start doing stuff because you can you it, it's easier to move forward than to unwind stuff and actually there is no rush i mean the, the first first five years of a business can if it's done built correctly can accelerate growth over 18 months but you don't want a, that growth too early because you're not got any systems or structures or anything like that so i think the three things are get the right people yeah um and the right people feel is awful I, I see that. I've got my mate Dave. He used to be an accountant, so he knows about the fuck. What the <laughs> fuck does an accountant know about business? Yeah. Like that's not their job. Yeah, um, no. Their job is to tell you the numbers. So that's really important. And then assets. Make sure you've got some stability for your family and yourself, and just take your time. Because one thing I know about having spent a lot of time with business owners now, the most successful ones, they're so inquisitive, consistently asking questions. How does that work? We've just got a member that does Bitcoin and, and we've filled the room with 10 business owners. God, like they're just asking all these questions because and don't be scared to ask as well. Don't sit in the room and go, oh, I don't really understand that. I won't say nothing because I think a bit, a bit of a din. Um, the most successful ask the most, most questions. 100% agree with that.
Yeah, I love that. And and that the the one with surrounding yourself with right, right people really leads us into the next stage of your uh, of your business. That career. wasn't loaded, by yeah. the way. Yeah, no, no, no. But you're <laughs> but you're but you're so right. It's so right. You know, there's all those sayings about you are the, the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Your network is your net worth, and things like that. And and you know, we'll talk about it now. I think it's poignant to do so. So after at this point of your boredom of of property, you then decided to do something different. So tell us how you got to that and what that idea is and what you're doing now with that i'm sat in a i'm sat in a coffee shop in south sea um i'm sat there regularly we got two offices one in regis at lakeside we got our, our tax office and i just didn't go in there i couldn't see the point with technology that exists today like you start thinking hang on a minute we can do that now now quickbooks is in the cloud we don't need to come together for that now we're just looking at online and we and, and what just sort of era what date was this this is pre pre-covid five years ago yeah okay yeah so if you can remember dialing back i, ha- I worked for a french uh, kitchen company yeah my 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 like pa was in france so so i got very used to working i mean i used to have a dial-up that you used to have to go home dial it in and then it sent all your emails do you know what I mean I remember driving around housing estates trying to pick up people's wi-fi when that got invented so I was part of that process so I'd never really had an office or worked anywhere specifically I was always back to France or whatever or in London or wherever um and I was in a coffee shop in in South Sea and kind of looked around and there was two other business owners like successful business owners live locally and we got to know each other, like vaguely, because I wouldn't sit in their seat, they wouldn't sit in my seat. And when you think about it, we, I was spending 15 hours a week in this place. And I've got two offices, a desk that's that's basically in a proper office. So I kind of said to Richard, I was getting a bit disillusioned, probably deep down bored of, of doing houses. And I said to him, right, I think there's an opportunity to basically put, dial up that Eco, the mini ecosystem that, and then I googled it. Went went up to London, spent six months in London. Um, I think Richard was saying, "Where is he? What's he even doing?" <laughs> and I was in London for about six months. Went to Bri- uh, Bristol, Brighton, Bournemouth, and just went round all of these. Never heard of co working. Didn't even know it was, existed. Um, and then went from co working, WeWork, and those sort of products to then we w- didn't quite get that because WeWork's more. Um, corporate spend. So I don't know, you're a consultant for IBM, you're in London, rent a desk. And I just didn't, it didn't relate to me. And then I think I stumbled in a couple of members clubs up there, which weren't deliberate um, business ecosystems, but organically they became a place where people drank coffees and stuff and worked and had meetings. And I remember phoning Richard and said, I've got the idea. I know now what it is. And and, um, because we're an asset, driven driven concern we started to map out or i started to map out what what that would look like by owning the building where it should be and all that sort of stuff and then we just developed the the idea from there i started to map out and it's quite strange when a new category like a plasterer there's a rate it's 150 200 pound a day and you're going well what do we charge for it and, and and then you start to look at like the bit i'd never really understood and it's still baffling me today where we're moving out of covid desk rental like why the fuck would you have your own desk in a shared area? It didn't make any sense to me. So that was that was a decision that we made early on that we're going to create a venue where you don't actually have your own space. So the the whole methodology is you have to basically turn up and sit where you like, like a gym. Yeah. 
and that was what we did. And we found we found a building in Southampton and we walked in and it was a shitty warehouse and the ceilings were too low. They still are. And Richard came out and I always remember we got in the car and he went, that's something to think about. And I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's, that's the one. That's the one, that's the one we're going to start with. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And, and then I kind of went away and we had a bill cost. Then we got some really um, cool designers on board. And then the, the bill price just went up and up and up. Um, three times what it was originally but as the product built out we refined the offer and the original offer was you've got an office you've got um loads of noise in there no one wants to go in there so as a business owner you have a second resource that is within the vicinity that you can disappear to you looked after in a hospitality fashion but the, the the fundamental thing is how we've got to know each other so so when you're in there there are people that are dealing in seven figure businesses plus eight figure businesses that when you're having a shit day as we did when it was just us two because i never developed a network i couldn't i was too busy didn't have didn't have time and that was the kind of concept and that's kind of where old Bond store is, is now. And that people, a lot of people say about COVID, oh, it's a good, a good idea with COVID. Now we were, we were building this two years before COVID. And early on, we kind of marketed to all the very obvious suspects in the local vicinity. And they came in and just didn't get it. They were like, why, why, we, we're invoicing like, we're a solicitor, we're invoicing like 250. Why would we even waste our time coming here? Um, and for the first two months, it tanked really. Um, and and prov to provide the, 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 the right service, and we were, it was costing us 20 grand a month to keep the doors open. I remember Richard's anime, we were three months in. We opened in November, March, COVID, we locked down. And um, I think we were early February and we had five members and it's 300 quid a month. And one thing I didn't want to deviate going back to my, my degree days was keep it simple. And I remember being in London and this guy in a co-working space, he had 15 different rates, like, this is a desk. If you have that desk, which is over there, it's slightly different. It got more and more complicated. He said, um, and we burnt 60 grand like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we had about 150 available to us, just put to one side. And he went, what are we fucking doing? Yeah. <laughs> like literally we're burning money. And then, So you must have had some doubts at that point. How are you feeling? Were you, were you still determined? I've done it again. Yeah. I've done it again. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've, I've done it again. And, and Rich has been amazing because he's, he's a great operator like like in an fd fashion operational commercial he's amazing and like i thought fuck like this stupid idea and it was on a grander scale beyond because the other challenge we had was no one wanted to lend to us to buy the building no one wanted to lend to us to fit it out no one wanted to finance it no one could give a shit no one even understood what we we're doing we didn't even know what we we're doing really <laughs> and um so we had to refinance a load of other stuff we're talking way beyond seven figures of our own cash and my wife in the rear view mirror, I've got that experience. Um, and then we just kept stuck with it and we didn't deviate. One of the key things we did, one was you can't have an off, we're not boxing off offices. You come in, you pay your money and you sit where you want. And that was, we were brave with that. Two, um, 12 month contract. We're not deviating because the way that I saw it, if this is going to be as special as what it was in that coffee shop, it takes time. And then it just was a bit odd, really. We, we shut down in February. We, we shut down about six members, but then March, two more joined. And then I think we were even locked and another one joined. And then it just, and, and, and we, it was progress up and down. I think that one of those people was me as well. I think yeah. I, that's when I joined. Yeah. I think, I think what we did at that point, and then we reopened and we couldn't afford to reopen really because 
when we first shut, we only shut because for eight weeks, the furlough money kicked in. So we could park a lot of costs and we had five members. So 1500 quid was coming in, 20 grand going out. And it just didn't make sense. But then when you joined, um, it became a bit of a legacy then. There were times, because obviously you're going through the same shit as what we're going through. And I had members at that period, like I'd sit them down, get them a beer. And, and, and having been there before, and what I found was at that point, though this wasn't my first rodeo. Yeah. So you start to make logical decisions of everything, right? How can I make, how's my mortgage work? How does that all work? And that that was our legacy, really. So I think at that point, it wasn't worth staying open. But Rich said, what are we going to do? We're going to shut. I said, no, we're not fucking shutting now. We're going we're gonna to keep going. And I think we went to 20 members and then 25. And then we, Boris shuts down again. And then we kind of like, it just kept growing. And then eight, 12 weeks ago, it's just turbocharged now. Um, and as a business now, we are the probably, well, we are the biggest business ecosystem in the area. Um, and the whole concept is that 6,000 square foot of space, um, you sit where you like, it's got all the resources, it's got the look of a five-star hotel, it's music, experience, but we've built this really solid community that are ultra loyal um, and they they push the envelope of where it's, where it's gonna go next. And I think you said to me the other day, like I've spoke to that person, I've had this conversation, I've had that conversation. For me, I don't even know 90% of what's going on. And I think for businesses, they go to networking because they want to do business. I've picked up a bit of work there. Like that's big, successful people don't think like that. They think about partnerships. How can I increase my network? Who can I, who can I leverage that kind of conversation off of? And, and now like today, there's going to be 60 people in there today. And that, that, that power in, in the in energy in the room is pretty kind of addictive. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and so to, you're very, I love the way that you've disrupted the office space. You know, before the curve, before COVID as well, this was coming. So, um, and obviously COVID changed a lot of working from home kind of ways. So, um, you know, the, the drive to be able to do that is, you know, hats off to you, Liam. Um, and from my view of the old Bond store, so I came in, I was, I don't know, it was like March, April of that, of that time around lockdown. I was spending a lot of time working on my own. Um, and I got introduced by Sam Griffiths um, and said, come along. And I remember that changed my whole mindset. I remember actually the first time we met, we stood at the bar and I've been doing the same what you said earlier, working in coffee shops and quite often in a coffee shop. You know, you've got kids running around, you've got noise, you're trying to be on a Zoom call. I even remember going to a Weatherspoons once and working in a Weatherspoons. I used to use the Weatherspoons. <laughs> yeah. It's the free refills. Yeah. And you're not under pressure to buy a coffee. Yeah, but then you've got someone shouting at someone else and, you know, all this stuff going on and you're trying to be professional. And um, and I remember the first time we stood at the bar in the old Bond store and we had a coffee or a drink and, you know, we both just opened up about our, our both our business failures and it was such a breath of fresh air to, to be able to just speak to somebody that understood business Business because quite often as business owners we go around don't we and we talk to people um, or we take our problems home and and it's not relatable and and it's so good to be able to come somewhere and be able to talk to other people that understand and build that that network up and you know as I say it's a it's an inspirational story that you're telling us here and and the journey that you've I been on I think so so how a business owner and everyone will relate to this so basically you've got your wife or husband who don't really want to know the bad news. Yeah. So they don't want to hear the good stuff, which is great when you've had a good good week. When you've had a shit one, 
it's not worth kind of opening up another kind of set of problems. You've got your friends when you've had mild success that are going, well, you're all right. Why do you fucking like, what are you moaning about? Like, I, I can't even pay my electric this week and stuff like that, which we I've been there, but they don't want to hear that. Um, then you've got your staff and your colleagues who are agendas. They've got their own journeys that, that is you're driving forward. So that's a difficult for. And I think I've got this weird, the relationships that get formed at Old Bonsu is kind of another tier of people that exist in your world um, that are not friends. They don't really, the challenge with your close community is they're going to have an agenda on their views. But these people, I couldn't give, I want you to succeed but it doesn't really affect me massively if you don't. So the advice that I'm going to give you is agendered in that it's based on my experiences, but actually it, a member came in the other day and said, I've got this da 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 what do you think about this? And I'm like, well, it's pretty obvious to me, but they're so close to it. They're so close to it. I don't think oh, I should get rid of him because he's done this and my wife went to school with his sister, da 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 and I was like, everything you've told me, if, you, if I was the other side of this conversation, um, you'd be telling me to get, yeah, I would, wouldn't I? Yeah, but then you go then. I don't even know this guy. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. And, that's, and that, business owners are lo really lonely. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's always going to be there. And, and a lot of people go, yeah, but I, there's an R, people expect an ROI of that type of experience because as a business owner, you need to justify it on the P&L or to colleagues and stuff like that. Um, and that's difficult for us to, to, to explain that. Yeah, it definitely is because the ROI for me is, is the feeling. Um, it's feelings. It's more internal. And, um, you know, I know that there is people doing business and they're getting ROIs from it. But it, there's so many different versions of ROI. I mean, for me, I remember being through lockdown, spending a lot of time in my office at my tree surgery business on my own. And by lunchtime, my morale and my motivation for the day is starting to dwindle because I'm on my own and I'm a people person I remember as soon as I came to the old bond store just a smile across someone in the other room or just a quick chat at a coffee machine suddenly lifts you and that's the kind of real difficult isn't it to get that ROI to get people to understand what that can do for people what that can do for your your mentality your morale um, and for people that are working for you within the old bond store as I well I don't think people people's health, their me mental state, people don't appreciate. If you run a car on high revs all the time, it's good, the engine's going to wear out quicker. We yeah. speak about this all the time. Yeah. And I find the people we do attract are very aware of their own self-development and their, and their own... Um, and I think it's a lot to do with the failures. If they've had a few bumps in the road, they're actually aware that they need to be functioning on a certain level. And it could be as little as just a conversation. One of the, we get confused a lot. So you talked about the office conversation. I couldn't give a shit about offices. I've got no interest in it. The business was built when offices, everyone loved offices. Yeah. So now I'm getting sucked into those conversations, which we're happy to help. I mean, lots of our members are getting rid of offices and we're supporting them, but I don't care. The business that we've built isn't about the building or the facilities or, or what where you work. I've decided that everyone can work everywhere and it's only gonna get more efficient. What my job is, is to provide people with a home where that they can have proper conversations. And what one thing I will say is, oh, you're a co-worker, I get you, we use the word, well, no, we're a club working space. Whereas that's the same thing, it's not. Our, our clients um, tend to turn over, they've been in business three to five years generally, um, they're on a trajectory and, they're already doing good stuff. 
if if you if you're going to a networking event to try and sell a photocopier, you're fucked anyway. If you can't create a sales funnel that allows you to sell the odd photocopier, then and so our members aren't looking to make sales. They're already past that. All they need is a bit of emotional support, a bit of someone just to talk to about ideas and just some knowledge knowledge sharing really. And and that's that's our responsibility. And when startups turn up at the thing, I sit with them, I'm like, you've got so much. You're not gonna get the benefit here because you've got so much to get in place before you even start. And can I suggest a mentor or someone like that for the next 18 months? Because your productization, you know yourself, like unless you know what you're selling, we had someone the other day, I'm a coach. Okay, you're a coach. What'd you Well, I've got this idea. My day rate's going to be this. And I've got, and we'd worked out that they'd need to generate in their funnel 100 customers a year on their own, paying probably 1,500 quid over a 12 week period. The, the, the metric just didn't work. Yeah. Because if they were delivering the service, it wouldn't have worked. And that's not where our demographic can really add value. But if they were three years down the line, they had two or three staff and they've got those sort of issues, it's a slightly different um, experience. And what I found when we were designing it, there's nowhere else in the country that, that hits that that mark. Um, and we've got we've got businesses that we lose them when they get to kind of eight eight figures. Um, they become, they need a slightly different, I mean, emotionally, we still address that need. But once we start communicating with PAs and we start to get into the further layers of the, well, my FD would like to use it, she'd like to use it or something like that, then it's, we start to lose that, that kind of relationship a little bit, really. Um, so, yeah. But no, it's, it's, it's been good. I've never been, we're still not making any money. So we're still, um, and, and every time we kind of feel like we're going to make money, we up the offer. We start to do breakfasts and things like that. But, um, I met somebody who um, is the CEO of one of the really cool um, gym brands in, in London. Yeah. Been doing it for, been in the fitness industry for like 20 years, met him this week and came out of that like pumped, like almost like, because I've been looking at the office industry. It, it's so far away from where we're going as a, as a collective of people protecting their own interest. And I just came out from that and I was like, right, this is all about brand, lifestyle. Um, and that's the dial we're going to dial up. And the gym industry now is is where I think we're going to start to model model the offer. Um, but the plan is just to p produce the biggest ecosystem on the South Coast, maybe the UK. Um, it's probably going to be asset-backed, going yeah. back to my original point. Love that. So, so you're going to create more old bond stores in other locations? Yeah, so, 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 so basically, if you forget about it as an asset, as somewhere to work, because yeah. I've decided that, don't, we're not going to keep people interested on that. Um, so we need to find locations that, one of the things that's different to online and, all, and LinkedIn and all that other stuff is that physical in the room bit that we're doing now. Yeah. And as COVID has come out the other side, the people that are getting on the front foot with that and having way more success on their journey by take, making that effort. So for me, it's that in the room experience to harbor that interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, and then we're starting to introduce like a feedback loop where we're starting to review what people were doing, the conversations that Bitin had and stuff like that. But yeah, I I'm not precious. I'm 42 now. I, I said to my wife the other day, like I lost 10 years of learning. 
And that goes back to the mentorship and getting people around you. Like, I think we said yesterday, didn't we? 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. I was the same, lost 10 years. And so do you have mentors now? Yes. Well, I've got a, an amazing peer-to-peer group, best one yeah. in the area. Yeah. Uh, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday, like two hours, I, I learned some new stuff. We were just talking just now about like some technology and stuff like that. Um, I've got a chap called Andy who I've worked with for seven, eight years. Um, and he's a good um, someone as a feedback loop. Um, Richard, obviously. The challenge with me and Richard and a lot of business partners, we've been together so long that I know what he's thinking. But the challenge is when you've been together so long, it's probably the same as what you're thinking. Yeah. And a lot of business, well, I've got my business partner, I spoke to him, or the mentor's my dad. That, I see that a lot. Mm. My dad, he, he's done it, he's been there. Done. I'm sure he has, but has he done it in today's world? But is they're it? still also still emotionally attached, you know, and I know Andy and, you know, you get from, you get real, real, you know, unemotional advice yep. from, from a mentor that's not emotionally connected to you as well. Is, uh, and, and also as well, that selection of that mentor, you have to get on with emotionally because yeah. they have to understand what you're going through. I mean, there's been times you slaps a laptop. So tell me about like what's going on with that. Um, but also don't be scared to call them out. Like I don't agree. Like I, he said some stuff the other day. I don't agree with that. And sometimes, but oh yeah, but they're my mentor. They've been there, done it. Yeah, but they don't know everything and they don't live in today's world. There's been a massive shift since COVID. Like some of the the younger members that are having success now, they're operating in a different, totally different structure to what we would, we, me and you would have done 10, 15 years ago. So you've got to be open to the advice, but you've also got to make some massive decisions on where it's coming from. And any, any business owner now, that advice, you need to make sure that it's coming from somebody that knows what they're talking about and and is aligned with what you're trying to do because the old bond store is a project people laughed at me like three years ago and they're the same people now that want to talk to us about it and you've you've got to feel confident in your own skin but you've got to get the advice around you like the chap in the gym i said to him what, what happens when you open a new venue like no one no one might no one might not turn up oh yeah no we just do this 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 and this Ah, yeah. tell Amazing. me how that works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's that, it, that's inquisitive way again, isn't it? Asking those questions, which is so important. So, would you say you're constantly evolving and failing forward? Then it's weird, actually. Yes, um, I'm 42 now, and I feel like a 21 year old. I'm not going to be a multimillionaire, and I don't actually care as I'm 42. And I was talking to my wife the other day and she said, look, Liam, with this journey, I'm so passionate about Old Bond Store because what it represents, we're, we're now living a different life to what we used to live. It's not about where you work. It's more than that. And me trying to work out my own mind, failing forward, but managing that forward journey to suit me personally. I've got a camper van. Absolutely love my camper van. I've got enough money that I don't need to keep pushing, but I've got that personality that I want to keep pushing. Yeah. So at 42, managing the next 10 years of my own excitement is going to be the biggest biggest challenge because I'm not scared to fail. It doesn't really bother me. Um, and just not getting back to where in that administrator's office <laughs> is really. Yeah. I'm happy to sleep on people's floors, <laughs> but I don't want to go and see the administrator again. <laughs> <laughs> love that, love that. So um, yeah, I just want to say my experience the old Bond store and being a member of it is just 
it, it's been out of this world. I've met investors through it. I've met business. I love the fact that you people are also celebrating each other's wins. You know, you see someone doing really well and you're like, it makes you buzz when you see someone doing really, really well. And I think that's sometimes a difference. I know when I went through my my failure, there was lots of lots of daggers being thrown from people that weren't in business. They almost lapped it up. But, you know, what you've created in the old Bond stories is there's people there pulling people up when the shit's hitting the fan. And also when you're, when you're also doing really well, there's people there to celebrate with you. And it makes that, as you say, lonely business place a lot less lonely because yes. you can have those ups and have those downs and, you, and you're being pulled in, pulled up all the time and celebrated. So, yeah, I absolutely commend I you. I think so. the thing British culture is you, like when someone's doing well, you want them to fail. There's yeah. a natural instinct like the, the wankers. Like you see yeah. the people like with the Ferrari are wankers. But like I think what we, we, we want to harbour is a culture. You're absolutely right in that everyone like he's. Let's, how are you getting on? I mean, I, I had a little WhatsApp message with someone yesterday, one of the members, top bloke, absolute top bloke, ultra successful. How are you getting on? And he said, I've had a monumental load of shit going on in the last week. He said, but now's not the time on WhatsApp. Let's, have, let's grab a beer in the next couple of weeks. And I'll look forward to that. And I won't be going there jealous of his successes. I'll be going there trying to pick apart because if it's a hundred million or 10 pounds, it's still the same stress. Mm. It don't really matter. And you're right, it's, it's about picking people up, but it's just a lot of people, certainly in British culture, we, we'd rather criticise people and not people for trying. Yeah, definitely. Um, what would you say to pe listeners that um, have got a fear of failing? Um, I always say to people, worst case scenario. So worst case scenario. So what happens is when it goes belly up, as you know, you start to map out the worst case scenario. So when you go into a decision, I got a bank loan, right? My dad took it and off he went abroad and I'm paying that for five years. What's the worst case scenario? And and and, and I think that's the, the that will conquer the fear, fear of failure because it's never as bad as you think. I think Tim Ferriss said, like, he used to sleep. I mean, oh, I wouldn't do that. Why would you do that? It's mental. But you sleep on someone's floor once every two months just to remind yourself it's not that bad yeah you might have a bad night's yeah. sleep but you've still got a roof over your head yeah so the the, the, the you have the mindset you're going to fall right to the bottom but you're probably not really if you lose 50 grand you you, you work it out um and yeah so i'd say don't don't fear it just work out the worst case scenario and that that that's your worst case scenario yeah build from there love that inspirational <laughs> Cool. Well, I think we're coming to the end um, of this interview. It's been amazing and I love your story um, and really look forward to seeing how uh, the old Bond store evolves even more to to the future. So um, how can people connect with you? And also, if if people are in and around Southampton want to come and experience the old Bond store, how would they get in contact? Well, funnily enough today, so um, myself, LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm annoyingly loud on LinkedIn. Um because of the of the educational piece, the messaging. So just, yeah, just hook up with me on LinkedIn. Um, with regards to our Bond store, we're, we're very shortly going to be going member-only introductions, um, not because we're arrogant and we're pompous. Um, it's just to maintain the value and to protect the, the ecosystem. I think we're at about 70, 80% occupancy now. Um, but on our website, um, there is a register for information piece just just go on there yeah um and go and find a member to be introduced by because it's a small small thing and we'll, we'll go from there 
Cool. All right. So I will I'll put the links in in this episode for everybody to go through. Have you got any final words you'd like to say to the audience? No, no, it's good. It's good to talk to you, Henry. And obviously, I've been on your journey and, and been privy to it. And I, yeah, wish you all the best with all this. It's, thank really, you. it's really great. And thank you to Andy as well. It's a lovely setup here. Anyone that would be interested in doing this, that's amazing. But yeah, no, thank you very much. Cool. Thanks, Liam. Thanks for having you. So thank you, um, viewers and everyone listening for being part of the Fail Forward podcast. So the next episode is going to be all be about accountability, which, if you remember, is the first step of getting over failure. So we're going to do a deep dive into accountability and how that works and why it's very, very important in getting over failure. So I'd just like to thank Liam again for being part of the first interview of Fail Forward podcast. If you like what you've heard today, please like and subscribe on whatever channel it is that you're listening and I shall see you on the next episode.